another edition of Unbalanced MN. I am Miles Bragg, a community defense activist based in the land of 10,000 lakes, and I am joined by intrepid young journalist Logan Carroll. Howdy. And we are here to talk about what the fuck is happening on the far right. This week, we wanted to expand on our news segment a little bit since we never seem to have enough time talking about current events. We'll probably look to sprinkle in some episodes like this between our main episodes with the bigger segments, including the interviews, historical audio, and all that. So look for those in the future. Don't forget, if you like what you're hearing from us, share it. Or support our little humble production Mm -hmm. over at patreon.com slash unbalancedmn. Now that that part's out of the way, let's get caught up on the news and dive into some of these headlines. And there are many. saw a wave of demonstrations across the United States in response to the brutal murders of eight people, including six Asian women, at three different Atlanta-area massage parlors by a gunman named Robert Aaron Long. Long has been arrested and charged with eight counts of murder and one charge aggravated assault. This event comes as a wave of violence against Asian or Asian-American people has spiked in recent years, with NPR reporting, quote, Crimes against Asian Americans have risen dramatically since the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. This also comes amidst several other mass shooting incidents that have taken place in just this last week or two. We're recording on the 24th, and to give context, I pulled these numbers literally yesterday. There's been seven mass shootings in the last eight days across the United States. Mm. Now, when the topic of gun control comes up, in response to these absolutely awful and largely preventable events, I really kind of think it misses the forest for the trees a little bit, specifically white supremacy and male domination in this case. Yeah, so a little bit of background on uh, Robert Long. He was 21 years old. Long apparently spent time in Hope Quest, an evangelical treatment facility for what he described as a sex addiction, a label that is used among some evangelicals for those that cannot control their sexual urges as expected by purity culture. According to police, his, his parents had kicked him out of their house the night before the shooting due to concerns about his sexual addiction and had said that he was watching internet pornography for several hours each day. It's a more complex issue than just guns and access to them, though, right? What sort of things do you see being talked about in the circles that you move in on the left? Mm. Well, obviously, the fact that it's a part of a larger pattern of hate crimes against Asian folks trying to stop that underlying racism or xenophobia 
this is a typically uh, a tactic that the far right and the fascists employ when the going gets tough they're looking to scapegoat certain groups it's easy for them to say yeah china flu and things like this uh wuhan flu or whatever the fuck they were saying i talked to that jeff scoop who's the former chair of the national socialist movement um that's actually gonna be the next episode and one of the stories he recounted was uh some point in the late 90s there was a, a murder somewhere in the south was two black men had killed a white woman so he talked about how that was part of their tactic mm-hmm. is they went to this community that had just been devastated and <laughs> caring like and the solution is expel all black people right is the, the solution is like a white nation state yep yeah do you remember when the young white boy was thrown off the balcony at the mall of america yeah. A little Landon, I think his name was. Yeah. American Identity Movement, which was the holdover of Identity Europa, or the rebranding of Identity Europa, one of these alt-right groups that was here in the Twin Cities. They took it upon themselves to organize a photo op at the Mall of America, where they made a, a big poster that said Justice for Landon and had a picture of him. So this is a tactic. They want to capitalize on people's anger you know whether it's righteous or whether it's not you know yeah that that's what i had for that one you sound a little somber thinking about it It sounds like it's affected you i'm somber thinking about all these things but you know it's part of our civic duty you know being cognizant paying attention organizing talking about it doing something about it so I i don't like going there but it's just yeah part of being alive fresno police officer outed as member of proud boys in california womp womp and i mean not just any like oh yeah i'm just a i'm just a proud boy no this guy was has been active and has been violent on behalf of the proud boys so uh in central california officer rick fitzgerald has been exposed by anti-fascists as a member of the proud boys who's taken part in violent rallies and attacks against left-wing demonstrators in Sacramento. According to the local ABC affiliate, quote, Fitzgerald has worn a Fresno police uniform for 19 years and navy blue before that, but he wore a different shade of blue at Sunday's Tower Theater protests. Protesters who spotted him wearing his Sons of 76 uniform recognized him from a previous protest where they saw him wearing the uniform of the Proud Boys. Legal analyst Tony Capozzi says Fitzgerald's appearance in Proud Boys gear at a November 2020 protest in Sacramento will likely create big problems in the court system, end quote. This reminds me a lot of what we're dealing with here in MN in some ways. On one hand, we have situations developing where ardent fascists and their neighbors are engaging in long protracted campaigns of agitation of local communities and embedding themselves into local GOP structures. On the other hand, we have those community members who wish to stifle those efforts. Mm-hmm. And then you have the cops whose job it is to literally play both sides. <laughs> we talked about it a week or two ago, didn't we? About like the three percenter or oath keeper that had a sticker on the back of their car, St. Paul cop. Yeah. I mean, this is going to be a reoccurring thing. The, the far right and their infiltration of law enforcement agencies in attempts to, you know, 
push power out of those agencies, steer, mm-hmm. steer them into a specific direction. It's, it's one of the more <laughs> alarming facets of the police's refusal to accept oversight. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, again, in this city, Bob Kroll. He consistently enjoyed the support of the rank and file. Yeah. And he never lost it. Okay. In March 2017, he won... Uh, 423 to 184. That's... Get the fuck out of here, really. Yeah. That's so, that is that's years after people knew exactly who this guy was. Mm-hmm. So he was getting 70% of votes, something like that? Yeah. I think about Kroll speaking at the Trump rally. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, as a journalist, the the degrees to which I was told to avoid even the appearance of being biased... And, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm honest about my politics, but I'm not a partisan. I'm not speaking at the DFL, you know, caucus, and I, I don't like the DFL, quite frankly. But for, for, for a cop who can carry a gun and shoot people <laughs> amid, like, unprecedented polarization and occasionally contentious protesting, you know, contentious on both sides, to have, have the people who are supposed to be you know, in the middle of that, like you said, playing both sides, to have such a prominent member of the department who enjoys 70% support from the rank and file, to have him speak at a partisan event, just... The, the gall. The, the gall, the lack <laughs> of concern with even appearing right. unbiased. Right. No, all, the, all that pretext seems to be out the window these days. Yeah. This isn't the best counterexample. But imagine Dave Hutchinson, sheriff of Hennepin County, went to a Biden rally right? and spoke on behalf of Joe Biden. Well, I mean, just like my reaction. I'm not even talking about the rights reaction. I don't know what their reaction would be, but that feels <laughs> like we're starting to toe the line of authoritarianism. It feels right. like the, the, the arm of the state that has a monopoly on violence. Yeah. To have them endorsing one political party. Right. Right. I mean, we haven't even begun to like touch on the issue of the constitutional sheriffs. You know what I mean? <laughs> that could be a whole nother episode, and maybe it will be. But I mean, it's not solely a right wing issue. It's not solely a right wing issue. Yeah, Minneapolis PD and St. Paul—they both have their backing on the DFL sides too. You know, our next story. Oh yeah, did you read this article? Which one's that? About Ali Alexander. No, I didn't. He's extremely savvy. He's about 35, 36 years old. Um, he's that young? Yeah. He's a cool. he's a black guy. He's one of the first adopters of Twitter. He was one of the first people on Twitter to be, you know, more or less a GOP operative. And he embedded himself very early on. He knew very early on when he was a, a child you know, or a teenager that he wanted to be involved in politics and that he wanted to be more or less a Republican, you know? Mm. And he's just kept drifting further and further towards the right. The next headline is Ali Alexander, the man behind the Stop the Steal rallies. So Huffington Post writer Luke O'Brien wrote a lengthy and detailed article on Ali Alexander, the main organizer behind much of the Stop the Steal effort. Highly, highly recommend folks check this article out as it is extremely well-sourced and provides insight into the types of organizer that is building local coalitions across the U.S. 
coalitions that serve as the recruiting ground and the base for former President Trump and his effort to reverse the results of the last presidential election. From no, for now, here's a quote from the article. Alexander's movement had helped upend the peaceful transfer of power for the first time since the Civil War. He reportedly went into hiding, claiming Antifa was after him. Tech companies had finally started to deplatform him, which he likened to dying. Quote, they got this close to having Ali Alexander commit suicide, he said. But he managed to keep squeezing out live streams. Four days after the insurrection, he broadcast from inside a vehicle rolling through the dark towards an unlo- undisclosed location. The next day, wearing the same clothes, he streamed from inside a building. He was the true victim here, he insisted. He compared himself to Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. He compared himself to Jesus Christ. Quote, I had to be crucified from social media in order for social media to end, he said. And I will fucking end social media. End quote. Uh, again, I highly recommend this article, or for those that would rather hear it in podcast form, the guys at QAnon Anonymous recently did an episode where they sat down with the author Luke O'Brien to discuss it, and I recommend, recommend checking that out and supporting those folks as well. But yeah, Alexander is a character. I'm not particularly familiar with Ali Alexander, except before, like after the election, before the inauguration, he tweeted that he would fight and kill to prevent Joe Biden, and then said something about, like, wouldn't you? And then the, the Arizona GOP retweeted him. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, I mean, just like highlighting again these like connections between the far right and mainstream GOP. He's an interesting cat, and it doesn't surprise me that he got a retweet from the Arizona GOP because one of his best buds is Paul Gosar. Mm. You know him, the rep? I don't know much about him, though. He's uh he's tied in pretty closely with Mr. Alexander. I mean, Ali Alexander is, I mean, primarily a like a media figure. Mm-hmm. There's this what's that what's that saying? I think it's popular amongst a particularly cynical brand of centrist <laughs> <laughs> journalists that tweets aren't votes. Mm. And that, that 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 saying just always it just feels so ignorant to me. Like. You clearly don't understand how politics work in this day and age. That like, right? This is, this is how this shit gets spread around. Yeah, I mean, he he's one of those along with like Alex Jones and Roger Stone and Steve Bannon and Andrew Breitbart. Yeah. This long line of folks that always talk about uh, what is it? Culture down, is downstream from politics, or politi- yeah. no? Politics <laughs> is downstream from culture. So they want to infect right. the culture with their ideology it's 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 cultural marxism it's just not <laughs> marxism <laughs> don't tell them that oh god same same A- thing alexander would have a heart attack but yeah i mean all these guys they they get their their money from their little daddies you know and uh they start up these organizations you know they they create a facebook page or a sub stack you know and they they get huge followings you know, because they talk about all these grievances that the far right has and the right wing has. and It's mostly just trumped up Dr. Seuss bullshit, right? You know, but... To slightly change your perspective on what you're saying, it's not that, you know, they got rich daddies who are just throwing them money. It's that the right wing has built a talent pipeline yeah. that can spread messages effectively online. 
in a way that the left does not have that infrastructure. I, f I feel weird saying that, like, as a journalist, like, I, I feel like I might almost be saying, like, darn it, because I wanted to be one of them. Like, like I'm not saying that. It's no. just an observation. That no, I understand. I that mean, this is, it's an organizing and uh, political tool. Yep. Yep. It's a and it's been tool. extremely effective. You know, one could argue that Bannon is probably one of the more effective political operators of our time. That kills me to say, <laughs> you know, but they are, they are, they know what they're doing and uh, we need to think deep about how to combat their, their little rhetorical lines, not fall for the ones that are clearly garbage, you know, and, and getting sucked, sucked into their, their little grievance machine. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. It's the right wing has found a way to cultivate personalities and to mm -hmm. cultivate talking points. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They mine these things like gold and they know how to take over the news cycle for a day. The flip side of it is, is let's, let's, let's do a little, <laughs> like how many right wing media figures do you think you could name and say 15 seconds here? Um, I'm, I'm excited about this. I'm going to, I'm going to get out the timer. I want you to name as many no, as you can. No, you're going to make seconds. me do this. Oh. Yeah. Right-wing media figures. I... Okay, 15 seconds, that's it, you ready? Sure. Go. Laura Loomer, Ali Alexander, uh, Alex Jones. Fuck, of course now I'm on the spot, I can't do it. Yeah. There's a hundred of them, Tim Pool. Um, Time. Andy No, Andy No had to get him. Where'd you Ugh. get, six, six of them? Five. Okay. That's terrible. There's so many more. Um, okay, so now, now do me a favor. Get on the count of three. I want you to name all the right-wing intellectuals you can. Here we go. <laughs> Fifteen seconds. Uh, shit. Uh, Buckley? I don't know. Is he still Is he still yeah. alive? Uh, Bannon. Not an intellectual, though. Doesn't one. Count. So you got one. Yeah. Time's up. Damn. <laughs> Point being is like they have put their resources in one particular area. <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. My my very scientific demonstration, I believe. All right, next story from it's going down in this week in fascism, which we love, which we love and appreciate, is about Mr. Paul Gosar. Paul Gosar retweets America First propaganda as Republicans refuse to condemn his America First PAC appearance. House Representative Paul Gosar of Arizona retweeted the white supremacist motto, America First, on Sunday. Less than two weeks after speaking at the America First political action conference hosted by fascist Holocaust denier Nick Fuentes, the meme shared by Gosar depicts a sex worker at the window of a man's car saying, quote, $50, whatever you want, baby. In the bottom text, the man replies, can you tell everyone America first is inevitable? Responding to criticism following his appearance at AFPAC, Gosar issues a weak apology stating that, quote, white racism is, quote, not appropriate but also defending his choice to collaborate with the Groiper movement and, quote, listen to what they've got to say. HuffPost this week reached out to the offices of seven prominent Republican politicians, including Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, to see whether or not they would condemn Gosar for attending an explicitly white nationalist conference. 
None responded. Well, I'm not really surprised. Um, I'm not. I'm not super shocked either. I mean, we had Steve King. Remember Steve King? Yeah. Rep from Iowa. I mean, didn't he say some 14 word shit or something like that? Oh, um, he said it's okay what's, to be white. What's the problem with white supremacy? Sure. Shit like that. Yeah. He made the point that like nobody in the Republican Party criticized um, Gosar for speaking at this explicitly white supremacist version of CPAC. Well, uh, it just so happens for something else, I happened to pull together a list of uh, people whose views are at least adjacent to white supremacism who have spoken at CPAC within the last two years. Matt Gates invited a Holocaust denier to the 2018 State of the Union. Marsha Blackburn met with the Austrian Freedom Party, which has Nazi roots, in 2017. She did that with Steve King, actually. Ah. Um, Louis Gohmert defended Steve King for asking why white supremacy was a bad thing. Mm. And hey, here's, I didn't even, this is why that name's familiar too. Paul Gosar followed Twitter users who used the N-word and made other disparaging comments about black people. Madison Cawthorn's campaign created a website to lambast his opponent as leaving his academia job in Boston to work for non-white males like Cory Booker, whose aim is to ruin white males. Wow. All of them spoke at CPAC in 2020, except Madison Cawthorn, who spoke there in 2021. So Gosar, like, spoke at CPAC last year. He's graduated. They're, he, he's a leader in the party. You know, talk, mingling with Ali Alexander, those types that are building support for coups. These are America's fascists. I would not call them fascists, but... Uh... Something new. Again, it's it's less about what we call it and more about like the, the function of it. They are a problem that needs to be neutralized. I don't know if this is the time for maybe we save this for another episode, but I, I definitely want to have a conversation with you about like like there is some like conflict here between like why you're here, what you're doing, and what I'm doing. Like you correct me if I'm wrong, but you see this is like an activism project, right? Yeah, a so little sure. bit. Yeah. <laughs> there are some ways that that like contradicts what like the journalistic endeavor the journalistic project and, and vice versa i think that'd be cool to like talk about that conflict definitely i i wouldn't call it conflict so much as it is like dissonance you know a little, a little friction maybe yeah. you know what i mean but i do think one of the things that we have in common is like and, and the reason it works right now is like what you're just saying like this needs to be dismantled <laughs> like, yeah like journalism is like a fundamentally democratic endeavor like it has to be without without democracy it's like stocks, sports, and human interest stories. Mm-hmm. The journalists have to be supportive of democracy. You have to like f- fight for it, engage with them. Like, like, these people are fundamentally anti-democratic. Correct. Like, activism is not what I do. I come at it from a different angle. I've got like a different role. Mm-hmm. But Paul Gosar is a problem <laughs> and, <laughs> and the way the GOP is making space for him is him and people like him. Correct. So a couple more things on that one. Uh, Fuentes, Nick Fuentes from the Groypers, he tweeted a photo of himself and Gosar drinking coffee together at a one-on-one meeting the day following the America First Pack speeches. He's repeatedly made racist and anti-Semitic comments on his show, suggesting that racial segregation was better for society and compared Jews being burned in the Holocaust to cookies baking in an oven. DRF, yeah, fucking dark shit, and you know... But the last point I had was uh, DRF Lab writes for Medium that America First Pack was organized almost entirely on Twitter and Telegram. 
using three key sock puppet accounts created in January and February 2021 with the primary purpose of promoting ticket sales and posting updates on the event. So just a point about why this isn't fascism. <laughs> that the weird-ass entrepreneurialism of it? The grift is perhaps the uniquely American aspect to yeah. the modern far right. You know what I mean? The most despicable political talking points married with buy my colloidal silver, you know, or whatever the hell. <laughs> buy this t-shirt. It, it'll save you from the globalists, you know, like only in America. That brings us to the base. If we want to talk about the base. Oh my god, I know you've been excited to talk about this. I know you've been... Well, yeah, so geeked. Actually, not. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... uh, Yeah, I mean, this is one of the more extreme cells that we have in in America. The the headline is, Armed Neo-Nazi Groups Found to be Planning on Building Training Camp in Michigan. I don't know how familiar folks are with this group called the base estimates have been at less than 50 people in their group they are pretty extremist accelerationist group trying to set up an ethno state apparently they were trying to set one up in rural michigan i mean yeah this is a part of an evolving drama with this group Uh, we're about to talk about their leader ronaldo ronaldo nozaro uh, who was recently confirmed to have worked for DHS. His recent Pentagon report exposes fascist infiltration <laughs> into the U.S. military. Well, we should really talk about white supremacist infiltration of, of military and law enforcement. Yeah, I feel like we've been around this tree before. <laughs> the hell? Ronaldo Nazaro, leader and founder of the neo-Nazi accelerationist group The Base, which also, isn't it? That's Al-Qaeda. Yeah. Al-Qaeda means the their, base. Yeah, and their their flag is modeled off of Al-Qaeda too, just like black on white. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh at that. <laughs> Jesus. Fascism is when imperialism or colonialism comes home to roost, you know? And I, I frequently hold that in my head too when I see this stuff, especially when you start hearing about guys like Nazaro, you know? A whole generation of guys went off to fight these wars, and they came back to a home-baked fascist movement at home. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Nazaro real quick. Oh, please tell me about him. So he's the leader and founder of the base. He was confirmed to have worked for the Department of Homeland Security. According to Vice, Nazaro recently took to Telegram to share three separate letters from U.S. government agencies thanking him for his service. One from DHS and two from the Mm -hmm. Pentagon. A spokesperson for the Department of Homeland Security stated that Nazaro had worked there from 2004 to 2006. This is not the first news of Nazaro's ties to military or intelligence agencies. Last September, Vice reported that the neo-Nazi had worked as a private contractor for the Pentagon, and earlier last year, 
he informed the BBC that he had been employed as an analyst for the FBI. Vice goes on to write, The confirmation that Nazaro worked for DHS is indicative of a significant problem American law enforcement and counterterrorism officials are facing. End quote. This trend is especially obvious in the wake of January 6th, that nearly one-fifth of the defendants from the Capitol siege are military veterans hardly comes as a surprise given the makeup of anti-government militias such as the Oath Keepers. Military connections can also be found at the more extreme fringes of the neo-fascist right. Just this week, Roll Call reported on a previously unpublished Pentagon report on the growing problem of fascism in the U.S. military. The article states, quote, the Pentagon report said U.S. military personnel and veterans are, quote, highly prized recruits for white supremacist groups, and leaders of those groups try to join the military themselves and get those already in their groups to enlist. Only those who actively participate or publicly advocate for so-called extremist groups can be barred from the military. The Roll Call article states, quote, merely belonging to a group such as Adam Waffen Division is not explicitly oh, against the rules. This distinction is particularly absurd with regards to Adam Moffin Division and similar accelerationist cells where passive membership does not exist and all members are armed, dangerous, and actively plotting racist violence. Mm. End quote. I, I, I pulled up this article here from VOA, Voice of America. I just mm -hmm. did a search because I know Biden's uh, defense secretary is supposedly focusing on weeding out extremist infiltration of the military. So this is so this is actually the VOA is part of the US Agency for Global Media, the government agency that oversees all non-military US international broadcasting. It's funded by the US Congress. So this is one of those agencies that was forbidden from producing stuff for domestic consumption because that's fucking propaganda. This is a propaganda outlet. And they've got this article in here about how let me find the quote here. White House and Pentagon officials are defending decisions to conduct in-depth reviews of the dangers posed by domestic extremists in the United States, pushing back against criticism that the measures will result in a so-called political litmus test. Which oh, is, yeah. like, what I, I imagine that's where what you were saying comes from, that, like, they're like, no, 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 you can be a member of Adam Waffen Division. It's like, there shouldn't be a political litmus test. Fascism. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> inherently violent ideologies, like fascism, like... Uh, like white supremacism, white nationalism, like, y yes, judge people for believing those things. You're trying to s stifle free speech, Logan. Be careful. Well, like if you're giving somebody a gun and saying it's okay for you to kill people, there's like a higher standard that you can hold people to. I agree. And like not believing in the inherent superiority of the white, white race is like, like, that's a political litmus test I am happy <laughs> to apply. It's a purity test. It's a purity test. Yeah, political yeah. purity test. Political was, purity test. I mean, that, that's what they said um, during the, the week of the inauguration when they were vetting yeah. National Guards. Yeah, people need to keep an eye out for that sort of stuff. Know what these folks look like. Know what their propaganda looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, as you mentioned, they're, they're active here in the Midwest, you know, and they've got some pretty... Wicked aims, you know. It's not to say that they're around every corner and people should be terrified, you know. But it, the more you know, the more you can do to, to mm -hmm. be aware of it and to help others be aware of it too. Yeah. That's all I had for news. Okay. <laughs>
Okay, this is a little bit more of a... A little freewheeling, free-dealing kind of episode. It has been a blast. We got the next episode. We're going to be looking at the history of fascism in Minnesota. We uh, went through some old archival audio about from, from people who lived through the lynching in Duluth. So we get that sort of ground that conversation, followed by three interviews with uh, Jeff Scoop, who's the former chair of the National Socialist Movement. He has since renounced the movement. Um, there's some controversy around him, which we'll talk about. What, whatever you think of the controversy, he was very forthright about the experience and the, the, the practice of fascist organizing in the Twin Cities in the 90s. Then we also talked to Jay Nevels, who is going to give us the perspective on anti-fascist organizing in the late 80s and into the, into the mid-90s. We also talked to Katrina Knudsen, who's a longtime artist, activist, anti-fascist. So she offered like a good perspective on anti-fascist organizing uh, through, especially through like the the George W. Bush and into the just into the Obama years. I'm I'm really excited about it. I really love those conversations. It's this great back and forth between people who would have hated each other for most of their lives um, to get both sides of the story. Mm-hmm. After that, we got an episode that is a look at the the rightward turn of American Catholicism. We talked to Stanley Payne again. He was one of the experts we talked about for the first couple episodes. I found out later that his, his real area of expertise is the is Spain, just the history of Spain. No shit. Yeah. So I reached back wow. out to him to find out about the, the role that the Catholic Church played during the Franco regime. Learned a lot. Um, a big takeaway was that... It was a very tenuous alliance, and it played a role, the hierarchy at least played a role in ending the Franco regime. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we also are pairing that with a conversation with Heidi Schlumpf of the National Catholic Reporter. Her and some of the other reporters at that paper have done a lot of work in recent years to track the way that extreme wealth is driving the American Catholic Church to the right. So she talked to me a little bit about that. So we got those two, you know, more of a historical perspective with like this more recent perspective about the role that the Catholicism plays in all this. And it is fascinating. I'm really excited to put those together for people. And I think after that, we're going to take a little break to do some fundraising. Yeah. So those are the next few episodes we got coming up. Uh, we're really <laughs> grateful for you all listening and for sticking with us. Really excited to take this journey with you. I. Uh, if you would like to support us financially, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash unbalancedmn. If you would like to get out the word on the social media before Ali Alexander kills it, uh, it's unbalanced underscore mn on Twitter. Um, and uh, <laughs> if you would like to reach out and talk to us, you can message us there on Twitter. We're We'd love story ideas. We'd love your feedback. Um, And we're just really grateful for the time you've spent with us. Thanks for listening. Gonna sell it on the mountain. Gonna push your two. Wanna spread like a volcano. Anything left all spew. Chow, chest. This week's bumper music is brought to you by local band Atomic Lights and 
Cat Breath. Please support them at Bandcamp. Our theme song this week was Day Late and a Dollar Short by Dan Carroll with Wesley Mitchell on drums. Oh.